So, Umberto, we have some emails from listeners that are addressed to you and me, and I thought we would Woo! read those emails and answer them. What do you say? I love it. This is the Psychology Institute Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I sell fat-free napkins. So this first uh, email is from an anonymous person or a person who didn't include their name. Could you please share your thoughts on objectum sexuality? On what? Objectum sexuality. Oh, okay. Do you know what this is? Well, it sounds like it's sexuality based on around objects, like you're attracted to objects. Right. People who are attracted to objects, basically they, they fall in love with objects, and, and they're both sexually and romantically involved with objects. And at first, it sounds like, what? But let's uh, look into some of the details. Does it count if you objectify a woman and fall in love with her? Right. So, for example, I, was, I watched this one YouTube documentary or a documentary that's on YouTube. A woman is in love with the Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower? And she actually had a public ceremony in which she married the Eiffel Tower. You can't do that. That's public property. And a woman is in a relationship with her bow, like a bow and arrow. Uh-huh. And a German woman married the Berlin Wall and changed her name to Mrs. Wall in the German name. That's, that's silly. And she, she says that she makes love to the wall. And she wouldn't give the details. A Swedish woman in a relationship with a guillotine. An American woman in love with a banister. Oh, man. Uh, like like they're... They showed her with the banister. It's like like a section of a banister mm-hmm. that was cut away from... So think about like the banister like on a way up uh, from uh, stairs. You sure, have, like, sure. But the, they've cut it out. They've and... cut out the whole... It's like a square <laughs> of Is a, it in bed? Like, <laughs> uh, Presumably. They show her uh, caressing and loving and kissing this banister. And are these for real or is this like... Uh, yeah, it's for real. Attention getting... No, okay. it... it looks legit okay women in love there's a woman in love with a carnival ride a very you know one version of what's one carnival ride a uh, woman in love with the world trade center before it was uh you know Ooh, that must destroyed. have been devastating um and this person emails says i found a number of people who were quick to call this a mental disorder i'm curious though about what you would have to say about some people who identify as objectum sexual claiming that they can telepathically communicate with the object that they're in love with. Berto, what do you think? Well, I mean, okay, so controversial statement number one. Uh, We have brains, our brains are complex, and we are within a range of variability. So that's, you know, we get these curves of, of, of behavior. We are not as variable as infinite, like we're not infinitely variable. You don't have... Uh, first of all, we don't have infinite capacity and things like that, but but we are within that range of possibilities. There's a broad spectrum of things that some, you know, s- small minority people end up getting into. Now, throughout history, things that are outside the norm, we've traditionally labeled them uh, as bad, as uh, sick, as demented, things like that. Uh, and that's what's caused things like, oh, well, if you're attracted to the same sex, you're demented. You, you know, there's something wrong with you. In some cases, we've had to grow out of that perception because it's simply an untenable proposition. There's there's too many people, and these people can't all be, like, treated this way, right? And so, uh, you know, the DSM has evolved, our perception has evolved. But inevitably, there's still going to be other edges. 
And uh, yeah, I think that if if the question is, are these feelings, are these behaviors outside of the norm? They are. Uh, does it mean that there's something, quote unquote, wrong with their brain? Well, only in the sense that it is outside of the norm. That's the thing. And how how bad is it? Well, I guess you'd have to find out, is it doing damage to them or others? And is it ruining their lives and, and all those other things? Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't couldn't put it better myself, bro. Is it... Uh, yeah, is it different? Is it out of the norm? Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, I'm guessing less than one percent of people identify as objectum sexually in that they mm-hmm. are sexually and romantically attracted to a physical object. But does it make it a mental disorder? Uh, well, mental disorders usually, by definition, not always, involve the criterion that it is harmful to self or others or, you know, causes distress, this kind of yeah. thing. And, but the distress can't come from societal oppression. The mm-hmm. distress has to be something else. Are these people in distress because people are making fun of them? Probably. Or, but, or, for, or sorry, for, for example, like, to make sure I understand. Uh, case one, I happen to uh, love my cell phone. And but then what this happens is like every night I can't sleep from midnight to 5 a.m. because I'm so obsessed with looking at my phone or something like this. But no one knows about it. I don't even tell anyone about it. But now I, I every day I'm super sleepy. I, I almost crash my car regularly. Those well, kinds of things. Yeah, good. Uh, maybe another uh, more possible effect would be that you have sexual and intimacy and, and relationship needs. Mm-hmm that your phone actually can't provide. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, spending all your time with your phone, in love with your phone, and talking to your phone, but you're slowly becoming more depressed and anxious and upset yeah. because you're denying or there's there's something getting in the way of you realizing that you actually need to be in a relationship with other human being who actually talks back to you mm-hmm. and will have sex with you in you know a non-phone related way. <laughs> And that, we would say, is causing you distress, whether you know it or not. And if you don't have something like that, then we tend not to apply the label of a mental disorder. The other thing wrong is, is it morally wrong? Again, you you put it well, Berto, as long as it's not harming anyone, then it can't really be a a moral wrong. Uh, Research in 2019 by Marsh, uh, they looked into people with objectum sexuality. And half of the respondents reported they were on the autism spectrum. Okay. So this points towards, uh, at least for some people, what might be a factor in them becoming objectum sexual. Now, obviously, the vast, vast, vast majority of people on the autism spectrum are not objectum sexual. But a factor might be that for some people, they have a hard time relating to other human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to be uh, in a relationship with an object in the same way that it might be easier to be in a relationship with a famous person right, right. or an animal, like a pet. Yeah. For people who have a hard time relating to other humans, they might have a shit ton of pets in their house. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's just, it's fine. It's normal. And, you know, I don't frown upon that at all. Uh and in, this, in the research that by Marsh, uh, they, the researchers found that 
the emotions and experiences reported by the by the participants were very consistent with a sexual orientation. Oh, so interesting. someone would, you know, you know, transport us back 50 years uh-huh. and you're, you're, you know, a, a researcher or a talk show host is talking to a gay man. Right. And they're like, so I don't get it. Like you, you want to have sex with a man? Right. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. You want to marry a man? Like, how, how does that make any sense? And the, and the gay man is like, well, you know how you feel about women? Well, <laughs> that's, that's how, how I, I feel, feel <laughs> about men. I, and you know how you don't want to marry another man? Well, it, I don't want to marry another woman. It's, this, it's the same thing. I want to, you know, me and my husband, we cuddle and we kiss and we argue and we want to have kids and we want to have a house and we, you know, it's this, all the same things you... When this study, these researchers looked at people with, you know, who were in a relationship with an object, they talked the same way. They're like, you know how you're in love with your spouse? I'm in love with this object. You know how when you see that your spouse, you, it, you know, uh, is enhances your mood and, and you feel good when you finally, you know, you get off work and you finally get to see your spouse? Well, that's how I feel about this object. Sorry, you know, you know how when you uh, go to bed with your spouse? Well, that's how I feel about this object. So, so devil's advocate, though. Um, how does one know what something is like if so, if one doesn't experience that? Meaning, you know, if you if you now I don't know what their background was, but if you've never actually been in love and had a relationship with a human, how can you compare that to? A different, you know, it'd be hard to say. Well, it's just like that because you don't know what just like that is. None of us know. Uh, the, you know, for me to talk to you about being in love, none of us, you or nor I, can know if we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, but the, there's categorization that's so much easier to do when we're talking about, you know, the same commonalities, but, right? But philosophically, it's exactly the same chasm between. But pragmatically, it's not. Right. No, pragmatically, it abs- the no, chasm no. is is always there. No, but but not in pragmatic, practical terms. Because like if well, I'm not saying, in com- I think what you mean is common terms. No, no, I mean I commonly mean, we tend to uh, like not perceive a chasm of perceptual difference when the other person looks like us. No, no, no. What I'm trying to get at is that we could not be doing this podcast, have any conversations, or even be sitting. If we operated in a world like that, where right. <clears throat> where nothing we, we, can we, be agreed on, right? right? Well, we make uh, inferences or guesses or assumptions that well, I I think that that person is saying something that is similar to my experience. So or, what I, what I'm trying to get I'm, at is that like it's one <clears throat> it's one thing for me to say, look, I have had a lot of different relationships with humans. Number one, I might have even if not had a relationship myself with the opposite sex, I've seen it so much, right? And so I think that w- this relationship I have with this particular human who is of the same sex, in my mind, matches all the following criteria. But I am having conversations with that person. I'm going on walks with that person. We have sex which involves our molecules rubbing up against each other mutually with mutual consent and all these kind of things. All those categories are, you can find those those crossover categories. But when you're saying... I'm in love with the Eiffel Tower that I don't have conversations with, that I don't go on walks on, that I can't have intercourse. They can't lay in my bed. They can't go see a movie with me. All those sort of things. That's why I'm saying, how can they know that it's the same kind of thing? 
Well, uh, how can we know their description is is the same as ours? Well, how do they know that they're even talking about anywhere near the same categories? Well, I don't know if they necessarily care, um, but as researchers, we're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if objective sexual people care if it's the same. They, uh, you know, the the little bit that I've had exposure to their descriptions. Uh, they're in love with the object. They don't really care about anybody. And, and that's that part's totally fair. I was simply objecting or, or providing a counterargument to the idea that it's like when a gay person says that, hey, you know how you have a relationship with no, them? What, you no, know what I mean? I, well, uh, to be more specific, the confusion mm-hmm. that we had in the past about gay people being in love with the same sex is, this, is the same uh, potentially as the confusion that human sexual people have when they hear an objective sexual person. Now, is it is it the same? Uh, you know, maybe we need more research on that. I don't know. It's but, just I think that you we risk when we draw this argument to like its extreme conclusion, we risk, risk losing all meaning. <laughs> because like, what if I said, "Well, is this threatening to you at all?" It, yes, definitely. Well, how so? Well, because. It makes it so that we can't we stop ha- being able to have conversations where we can agree on anything. Because like, what what is it that you would have? A hard yeah, time? let's let's say that I said that I'm in love with the passage of time on a spring day. Okay, once every ten years. Okay, right. And what if you? Not just that you said that, and, and then I but said that you actually were right. And then I said, and it's just like when you're in love with with your spouse or whatever. Right? And fine, okay. But the problem is, those are not at all the same thing. <laughs> but the experience can be the same. We don't know that they are because none of us know that. That's my point. Well, they're just claiming that it is, but they haven't compared. No. Now, if they did in compare the, and they study, said it was the same, that's in the different. study they weren't. The participants weren't claiming that they're they were similar to human sexuality people. They were just describing their experiences mm-hmm. and the researchers concluded those descriptions are the same in in essence sure. in the way that people talk about being in love with their spouse. They, they weren't, the, the people in love with the object, I think you actually have to hear these people's stories because when I first read this email, I was like, what? But... You know, I thought, oh, it's okay. probably some kook, you know, that's trying to get attention uh, uh, or uh, okay. some someone who actually Let, is mentally ill. Yeah. And when I actually hear the see these people caressing the banister, I'm like and, and you and you see the reality of these people's lives, it it actually really hit home for me. I was like, Oh, okay. Like I, I get it. So I, I right. recommend watching the YouTube video. And that's fair. And and I wanna be clear, I'm not discounting that they feel strongly or they're really convinced about their reality. Totally. I get it, right? But here's a different example. <clears throat> Imagine that you're interviewing someone who's colorblind and you ask them, you know, you show them two colors and you're like, what do you think? And they say, yeah, that's basically the same color, right? And then you interview, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but let's say 70% of the rest of the, of the world, whoever, the percentage that's not colorblind, and they say, Oh, yeah, no, those are two different colors. In practical, daily useful terms, we have to go with the majority, and they're not both correct. That's where I'm saying that what I was saying is like, if we concluded that the equivalence is there, no matter what 
thing or object or sensation or concept what do you or mean whatever. By correct. Uh, correct, as in for practical everyday purposes, correct. But what what defines something as being incorrect? As like it, it how would I say this? It's less useful for practical purposes. So, like if we said, if useful we said, to who for what for humans for the majority of humans let's for say. what purpose for us being alive and pro, pros, being prosperous. I don't understand. Well, as an example, take gravity, right? Like for all we know, we got gravity completely wrong. In fact, we I'm quite convinced we do. Okay. But for our practical day-to-day purposes, it's it's correct. The theory of gravity. Yeah, it's correct. And it works. And, it, and we've been able to build lots of things and do lots of things. So we go with that, right? Uh, so there, uh, similarly... Well, no, so so to, based on this analogy, there is a phenomenon of gravity yeah. that we observe and we develop a theory well, there is, of yeah, gravity. There are some effects in the universe that we observe, okay. and then we develop a theory of gravity. And so the correct usefulness is around the theory of gravity, not gravity itself. It's gravity just... itself is there, but we develop a theory, an understanding of gravity that tends to be correct and useful sure. in your terms. Sure. So, just like with the colors. Like the colors example great. is like... So when we look at people who are sexually and romantically attracted mm-hmm. to an object, that phenomenon is happening. Yes. We don't we can't say it's not happening. it's happening. Right. And when we look at their description, it's like, wow, very exactly the same description that one has about uh being in love with your spouse, you know, or a a romantic partner that you've been on three dates with. But I'm arguing that it can't be. But I'm saying it just <laughs> depends on the theory of romance that you develop. If you develop a theory of romance that that says anyone who is describing the internal emotional experience mm-hmm. of love on based on these 10 criteria, like they look forward to seeing that person or thing, they uh, feel connected to that person or thing. They want to spend the rest of their life with that person or thing. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You go down and that's your theory of romance. And those people, the objective sexual people fall underneath that theory. Then the theory is useful, but it depends on your theory of romance. If, if you sure. exclude objects from your theory of romance, which is fine then obviously those people are not going to be convenient enough to, or it's it's not going to be correct to include them in the theory because the theory by definition includes, does not include objects. Yeah, and I guess what I'm trying to say is like, absolutely, it, it is about definitions. The experience of being in love with a human, uh, by definition, is not <laughs> equivalent to the experience of being in love with, with um, an object. According to your definition yes, your, the, of the, the theory the, of love. The practical usage of it that we have to live with, right? Uh, uh, your definition of love. Well, and what I'm saying, the reason I feel threatened is because... Which is the majority of... I'm not going to say it's weird. Yeah. I'm saying 99.9% right. of people, and, do their theory of love and romance is right. include objects. But I'm saying, upon actually doing a little bit of exposure to these people i'm saying although i'm i'm rarely going to ref, i'm rarely going to include the object you know word when i'm talking about you know when in the sure. future when i'm talking even though i've it's <clears throat> my my theory of romance has been expanded slightly to objects for certain people 
Uh, I'm not going to start wording it that way in the future, but I will say that my theory of romance has been expanded. But what I'm trying to say that I'm threatened by is that if we expand the meaning of words indefinitely, at some point, we can't communicate. So either let's make up some new words or, or make subtle additions to the words. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's that hard. You just say uh, romance and sexual attraction. Vast majority of people, it's towards other humans. For some people, it's towards objects. For other people, it's towards animals. Uh, and that's a thing, too. Uh, I mean, I guess that's a thing we should be including. Now, objects don't have any feelings, uh, you know, according to our theory of, of objects yeah. and emotions. So for a banister to be molested every night, it's not we don't feel bad for the banister. Right. If it's a cat or a horse that we don't really know its feelings, then then we get into some very moral issue. If if a man is going to marry a horse and have sex with that horse but but that's we where we worry about that horse and, and because because we can't ask the horse are you cool with this or not uh but but so, someone could could make an argument about like extending the definition further because they're just molecules they're just collections of atoms right and and we we don't have any way to prove that just because there's a pattern happening in one collection of atoms versus a different pattern that one is more entitled to different you know, levels of okayness with the sex act versus the other. But well, that my, 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 doesn't work for well, us. Well, <laughs> my, my, my theory of romance is when people have, and because you can have a romantic feeling towards someone you've never met or even towards a historical figure who's dead, yeah. for example. And so you, feeling of romance, I, I don't need to go into detail. I think all of us can, can know the feelings that we get of having a crush or being in love with, with somebody. And that uh, for most people, it's towards other humans that they can actually meet. For some people, it's towards historical figures or towards idols they'll never meet. For some people, it's towards objects. And for some people, it's towards animals. For some people, it's maybe they love gravity. I don't know. And well, but, for, but, for but, some... the, but the theory of romance for me is just the, the feeling. Now, we, when we talk about the practicality of how we enact those romantic feelings, like with animals— we have some questions. It doesn't mean that just because you are attracted to animals that you get to enact that romance. But that's that's because remember my objection wasn't in that someone would claim that they feel those feelings, or even in that they may. For all I know, and I'll just grant you this: maybe literally the same set of hormones, endorphins, brain patterns, everything is happening in their brain that I get when I'm turned on by you know something. I will just grant that. Let's let's just assume that. What I was objecting was that that the comparison would be equivalent, meaning to say, okay, well, this this person... And, and in fact, I was objecting to the equivalence between the way that, that we felt about the gay, the gay relationships, now we expand it to this, because I, I'm concerned that the eternal expansion would lead to like, well, it's just like, you know, you could imagine someone saying, look, I am attracted to a screaming human as i am killing them and it's super attractive to me it's like okay well we're expanding <laughs> I, our definition I, to that I, I don't agree i don't think that i don't think we have to worry about that one two you hate slippery slope arguments so I, I, that's my point this is a slippery slope you're making a slippery slope yeah argument. no no we are we are I'm saying, saying you you have been on the record saying you hate i, I do hate those slippery kinds slope of arguments, arguments. But, but it's but like it's like we can you know to be clear 
you're kind of saying that if we expand the definition of romance to include people who are attracted to objects, where does it end? No, I'm literally saying that like... You literally just said that. No, but I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying like we are making something that does end. All of a sudden say like there is no end. No, we're saying it includes just one well, other... Well, you're saying that, right? Yeah. But why are you not saying all of the other ones? Because I haven't met those other people yet. I haven't you, seen a, you, you I haven't have. seen a documentary about those you other have. people. You've seen like psychopaths talk about their sexual attraction and their feeling of of okay. You know. And and if they talk about their experience in a romantic being romance doesn't mean good. Romance doesn't mean legal. You know, someone can be romantically attracted right. to David Letterman and stalk him. That doesn't make it okay. Just because they're having a romantic feeling but doesn't... the implication was that just like we had to expand our feeling about a gay person talking about their relationship... You're confusing romantic... uh, experience, the, the experience, the internal, ex- the emotional experience mm-hmm. that someone... That drives the, the impulses, the thought process with legality or morality or something and they are not the same thing uh, I, 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 that's uh, so, fair someone oh, some listener right now could be romantically attracted to you and that's and, illegal and, and i with, get it <laughs> and be in love with you and you know want to cut off your toes and eat them you know which is fine i'm into that. it doesn't make you know it's yeah. it's it, I, I don't right right I don't, but but the example i don't understand why including people who are, are romantically attracted to the Eiffel tower is somehow threatens the very fabric of our society specifically what i was threatened by is the example you gave which is great right like we used to have this sense of like wait what you can be you can feel these feelings towards a person of the same sex. Like, that's mental, right? And like, people would say, if we expand right, marriage right, right. and romance to those right. people, where does it end? Right. No, but it has to end. Because if it doesn't, those it people doesn't were right. It doesn't have to end. Romance, the, the, the acknowledgement of romance does not have to end. But then the, you would be confirming the, the, the slippery slope, which is what, what no. we would all agree is not fair. I, I just don't, I don't know where the bounds of, of but, romance But that's is. what the slippery slope person would be concerned about. And what I'm saying no, is... No, it, it, it's confusing the acknowledgement that a human being is having a romantic feeling or that a class of people, a group of people, have a similar romantic experience... Uh, on a on an object or a you know in a direction that isn't common, it, to acknowledge that as something that's happening, to confuse that with saying therefore anyone is allowed to do anything they want and they can harm other people. That is like no, no, but, where but, did we get there? No, I I never got there. I'm not claiming you're getting there. I'm not claiming anyone is getting there. What I'm specifically claiming is that the statement of the way they talk about their experience is very much like the way that, uh, say, a, hetero, a heterosexual or a, homo, a homosexual person talks about their romantic experience, right? Mm-hmm. I am saying that for practical purposes, we, I, I would draw a line before that. I would say, no, that by definition, there's too many categorical differences. By definition, it's not what? There is no... Commit- no, no, what word... Is not being defined. Oh, here. okay. I, I, I know what I would say is by definition, that experience is not the same. It is not the same as what? As the experience of a person with what another What word human. do you put to the other one? Uh, I guess we were using romance earlier. Or whatever, okay. Right? So, so you're let's, saying let's say that romance. experience is not romance. 
It's not what we mean by romance, right? It's not what you mean by romance. Well, by, by what society means by romance. Typically. By the majority, typically, yes. Typically, yeah. And if it did, if we have to expand it, what I'm saying is that, look, the reason I don't like slippery slope arguments is because in practice, that's not how the world works. We don't immediately concede infinite. We make adjustments, incremental, right? Right. Right. But but it does mean that there's an edge because if there weren't an edge, then it is a slippery slope, which that, then it would confirm the fears of the people that that feel that there's a slippery slope. Yeah, I think we're going in circles. All right. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the Hustlers Hustler movie. Have you seen that Hustlers? Hustlers. I, I feel like I did. Is that the one with J-Lo? Oh, wait, maybe I didn't. And Constance Wu. No, I didn't see Hustlers. So it's a movie about it's true story. What was it? Sorry. What was the one with? Uh, American Psycho Guy and uh, the music movie with... Uh, oh, American Hustler. American Hustler, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, this is just called Hustlers. Okay. And it's a true story, based on a true story, about a, uh, a group of mainly two strippers who work in New York. They work at a strip club. This is recent? Yeah. It just okay. came out a few months ago. And as Jennifer Lawrence... Not Jennifer uh, Lopez. Je- Jennifer Lopez and Constance Wu. And, What's Constance Wu in? Uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, okay. I like her. And um, the, uh, and the TV show Fresh Off the Boat. Okay. Uh, and the it's based on a article, a very long article, uh, written I think in like the New York Times or something. I can't remember, but anyway. And what happened was the women were at a strip club and they were making a lot of money in the aughts during the the boom in our <clears throat> economy uh, from a lot of guys who were in Wall Street guys, mm-hmm. you know. And then 2008 happens and their business dries up because oh. uh, all those Wall Street guys fall out of, you know, they, they lose all their money and and the women – at the strip clubs are like, well, what are we going to do? And they lose their jobs. They, they go work at like Old Navy and other kinds of jobs, and they're having a hard time. They're really struggling. And this one uh, stripper comes up with this idea, J-Lo, to uh, drug the uh, – to find men on the street at, in bars. They would mm-hmm. find like some nerdy-looking guy, these two, uh, you know – women with lots of cleavage <laughs> and short skirts would come up and chat him up and and kind of get him to buy drinks and they'd get him drunk and then they would uh drug his drink <gasps> oh yes with like a roofie or something with mdma and ketamine oh geez what is and that well it's um MDMA ecstasy, it's serotonin makes you feel very um Connected to the world, you feel very touchy. Well, what does the <laughs> ketamine do? Uh, ketamine erases your memory to some Yeeks. extent. Uh, it's it's actually what's given to you during certain procedures where you're awake, but they don't want you to remember it. <sighs> like having a colonoscopy uh-huh. or wisdom teeth pulled. Um, it also makes you quite happy, ketamine. Um, and you can overdose on both these substances, and it can not be a good thing. But anyway... I'm simplifying the drugs. But anyway, uh, they would drug these uh, people and then they would pull them into the the uh, they would they would bring in more women. They would go to a strip club that they had a deal with 
and they would rack up thousands and thousands of dollars on their credit card, and the strip club would give them, you know, like 50% of the money or something. Oh, my God. Was this based on a real story? Yeah. And so, and the women admitted that they did this. And they did this to, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of men. Oh, my God. And then eventually things got bad. Maybe they were prosecuted. Oh, eventually they got bad. I'm not, or I mean, in terms of their (laughs) legal situation. (laughs) And so the movie is this glorification of that whole process. Oh, it is? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a bit of, you know, uh, consequences or a bit, you know, the person there, the, there's a woman who's interviewing uh-huh. them about what they did. And she starts asking questions like, do you feel like you did any, like this was okay yeah. that you, you know, she asked questions like that, but it's not really explored. And so is it trying to like justify it? Like, Hey man, got it. Did what we did to survive. Exactly. Oh, they show them working at like regular jobs yeah. when they aren't making money stripping and, how hard it is and, and how demeaning it is and, and how, yeah, it's like, they had to work. Yeah. Oh, Mm. you mean, yeah. I mean, do you know how many bullshit jobs (laughs) I've had in my life? Like demeaning, demeaning. I mean, literally digging ditches, uh, dishwashing at a Denny's. I was a, I washed people's dishes at a Denny's. I, uh, I had to clean McDonald's bathrooms. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, uh, working sucks. And that's, you know, and I, you know, for some people, women, uh, per, you know, coming from a certain background, it might be really hard for them to get a job. I get that. Yeah. Does that justify drugging people? Jeez. And the way that they, the, the way they made it seem, it's like, well, you know, these douchebags deserved it. But some of the guys in the movie, they actually purposely showed probably didn't deserve it. Because some of the guys actually would... um you know, they'd get home and they'd be like, I have $50,000 on my credit card. Yeah. And they'd try to, you know, negotiate. They'd be like, so I don't even remember what happened last night. Could you, could yeah. you, I need to contest these, Jesus, these charges. Man. And they'd be like, fuck you, pal. You know? And some men's lives were turned upside down because the, their wives would, yeah. would find out or something. And so, you know, to me, it's like, okay, I get, I, there's a lot of things I want to say. One is, is that, you know, I get it. Our, our, our society is sexist and they get into that in the and because these douchebags are not nice to these women and that kind of thing. Our society is classist. Our society is oppressive to some people. It's hard to make a good living, particularly if you come from a certain background and we have a problem and there are victims of this system that deserve justice. But, it's completely immoral, and I want to stress this, to roofie people. Just because it's women roofing a man doesn't make it okay. No. This is, okay, this sounds like fodder, perfect fodder for the, the incel emtal communities. To go, see, see, they can get away with it because they're women and blah, 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 blah. And it's, this is what I'm talking about. It's bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I get it, you know, on a certain level, this is a reversal that we don't usually see. How many movies about men doing really awful things are are glorified? Maybe not roofing, but mob movies. I mean, The Sopranos. Absolutely mob movies. No question. No question. 
No, that's yeah. I'm not talking about. Yeah. I'm talking. No, no, you're right. You're right. There's. No, I wasn't. I, I was thinking of like the literally. No, you're right. What we don't see usually is like guys drugging women to take advantage of them. <laughs> but your point is that sure. But we see a whole bunch of other glorifications of horrible, right. illegal behaviors. Right. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street, sure. for example. Yeah. These movies where you have a criminal who's doing something horrible. Yeah. That if you just read the tagline, you'd be like, that's a horrible, immoral person <laughs> right. who needs to be locked up. But they make it into a fun movie where you're kind of rooting for the criminal right. who was absolutely doing awful things. You know, watching Sopranos, I, I'm, I'm almost at the end of, the, of season six currently, and uh, it's hard to watch. I mean, the, as I get older and I'm watching these characters, I'm just like... These people are destroying people's lives oh, yeah. <laughs> and literally killing people. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be on Tony's side <laughs> and I kind of am like, wow, that's, that's a, you know, yeah. that's quite a trick you pulled right. on me. Now, if I was a woman watching the Sopranos, would I feel the same way as a man watching hustlers? I feel kind of grossed out by it. You know, I, I, I was pretty, but if I was a woman watching mm-hmm. uh, Hustlers, I'd be, I'd be like, oh yeah, women getting their, you know, getting their day and da 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 da. So, uh, although yeah. I will say, because some of the elements I haven't seen it, but some of the elements you mentioned would detract from me feeling like I'm on board with the. Because yes, of course, when I watch all these shows and movies, I'm never really on board with the reality of the horribleness, right? But I'm just like fictionally on board. So like, yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to see more about this mob stuff. But in reality, I'd be like, no, no, but this is all horrible. But what you were, some of the things you were mentioning, like the fact that they they show their mundane jobs and that's supposed to be horrible. Well, I wouldn't that wouldn't help me empathize with the or get on board the the train and. They haphazardly roofie these guys, too. Like, in the beginning, they don't know the dose that well, and so they, they go completely overboard with the drugs at I times. See. And, again, because I understand, I've talked about this before, I understand what it's like because I've worked with people yeah. who, who take too much MDA or too much ketamine. It's not, a, it's not like getting drunk. It's a completely different kind of thing. Hmm. You can really have bad effects on your brain as, as a result of this. And so, uh, but like I said, how many mob movies have we glorified? I mean, Godfather, Goodfellas, Casino are some of my favorite movies, yeah. which you could look at. And, and how many women, you know, cite those movies as like their top 10 movies? Not as many as men, right? Probably. So it just tells you like when we watch these these kinds of depictions, gender plays a role. Yeah. In Hustlers, I'm watching men like me yeah. getting fucked over <laughs> and roofied and, and, and ripped off and manipulated. Right. And, and I'm like, hey, but when I watch Tony Soprano doing like, all yeah. these horrible things, I, you know, you get him, Tony. <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, yeah. So I, you know, I just, so on one level, I think this movie is truly awful. On another level, it's like, well, okay, there's okay. a lot of movies that are truly awful. But counterpoint. Did you ever see Heartbreakers? Wait, you're counterpointing? That's, <laughs> this is so strange. <laughs> Did you ever see Heartbreakers? With, uh, 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 what's her name? Uh, Jennifer uh, from Party of Five and um, Sigourney oh, no. Weaver. Yeah, no. Okay. 
It's like uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jason so, Lee, Ray Liotta. Gene, yeah, Gene Hackman. It's it's like a female version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in a way. Okay. I so love the, this. The women movie. are grifters yes. and con artists. Yes. I love this movie. It totally glorifies what they do in the same way that you know Dirty but Rotten what, Scoundrels. What does. harm did they do to the men? Well, it's not drugging and, and stuff, but exactly. it is but it is conning them out of their money, conning them into marrying them and like taking their money and like oh. they do lots. Yeah. Not only that, but don't but, they fall in love at the end? I mean, it's not a typical. But, but what I'm trying to say is exactly that they they still make me empathize with them enough to want to root for them. What do you think it got in Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, sixty, fifty three. Not bad. Okay, um, but I really like it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what dirty rotten scandal. But I mean, think like. of think of the Sopranos. The thing you start empathizing with Tony about isn't so much when he is betraying his closest friends. It's that within the world he operates in, you actually start hating some of the other ones worse. Like you're like, oh, that no good Uncle Junior man. He's really got it in for Tony, and that mother of his. Oh man, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So you. You 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 are shown Tony and then shown things of his life that you actually do empathize with and feel worse about. Whereas, and again, I haven't seen it, but what you're describing is like if I'm seeing the scene of them slogging through their mundane job, I'm not going to empathize with that. Well, I'm painting it in a certain way. I okay. think what this movie does, for me anyway, is it alerts me to perhaps what women have been experiencing and having to sit through certain types of films for the past 50 years, uh, they've had to endure these kinds of watching their uh, husbands and boyfriends uh, watch these men on the screen doing awful, awful things. And their husband and boyfriend is like totally loving this movie and watching it over and over while, you know, the woman is going like, why do you like this shit? Like, this is awful. Like, Wait when, when, a minute. I'm sorry, but like, some of these movies are widely beloved. And the horribleness is done, if anything, at least as much, if not more, to guys. Like, they're killing guys, you know? Yes, they, they will also uh, be uh, mean to the women or, or stuff like that. But I'm saying, like, these aren't movies where it's just guys being mean to women. You know, I'm not necessarily talking about, say, Godfather, yeah. for example. I, I, I'm just, I can't really think of the movie off the top of my head. Maybe but, American Psycho. Like we'd have a point with American Psycho, right? Yeah, th- things like that. Yeah. Where, where it, 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 it anyway. Yeah. I, 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 that, that's what it did for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually enjoyed the movie. I, I think I probably gave it a six out of ten. Okay. Uh, the first half, I was, I was, you know, pretty entertained. Um, I mean, the whole thing's entertaining. Mm-hmm. And they do try to. Insert... All right, I'll watch it and then I'll come back. How about we do the great acting? Great, uh, Constance Wu is a gem of an actress, and 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 J Lo. You haven't seen her in anything in a long Not time. Not a long time. And she does, she does great. I mean, after Geely, I love Geely. And <laughs> let's take a break and answer some more emails from listeners. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. So, Berto, if J-Lo was to drug you and then ask you why you should become a patron of the pod, or to, wait, if J-Lo was to drug you and then ask you to convince the listeners to become a patron of the podcast, what would you sound like? Hey, listen, I'm just Jenny from the block, and um, I kind of, like, I drug this guy, but trust me, 
He had it coming. First of all, I don't know if you know, I was a judge uh, of talent on a very popular TV show, and this guy doesn't have it. So it's right that he got drugged. But what I do want to ask you is I think you should donate heavily and become a patron because this podcast is amazing. And, and I say this as someone who grew up in the hood. Like, I'm, I'm legit. I'm from the streets. So I know what's, I know what's good, and I know what you should subscribe to, and this is it. You should become a patron. So this email is from an anonymous patron, Aria from Toronto. He says, it's like Game of Thrones, but he's a guy. So Aria from Toronto. He's written in quite a bit, patron Aria. Uh, He says, I'm 20 years old. I'm a student who finished his second year of university. And while I have made friends whom I can trust and talk to, I still feel very disappointed about the fact that I have never had a girlfriend in my entire life. How old? 20. 20. Any response to this so far? 20, no girlfriend. Uh, first I'm, of all... I still feel very disappointed about the fact that I have never had a girlfriend in my entire life. Yeah, so 20 sounds old when you're 20, Yeah, but 20 is a, a baby. Like, yeah. you're still very young. Yeah, that, that popped out to me too. It's like the, the phrase, I've never had a girlfriend in my entire life. Yeah. And you're, you're probably like six years into puberty, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it, I get that you want a girlfriend and it makes total sense that about 20, you would be like a little distraught that you've never realized that desire. But just to let you know, 20, you are extremely young. Uh, When you become in your 40s, you will look back at 20 and think, man, was I just barely older than 13? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's hard at the time. Yeah. People used to fight wars at 13. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, goes on. I used to turn to the internet to seek inquiries on this topic and would often become a victim to those echo chambers like incels. Echo, echo. But I have learned from your podcast to not turn to that BS. Hence, I try to talk with actual people about this like you. Any response to that, bro? I mean, we, yeah, that sounds like music to my ears. That, that is fantastic to hear. It doesn't mean it solves the problem immediately, but making it worse by exacerbating it in these kind of toxic pockets is does no one any any good particularly you yeah yeah music to my ears too uh if it's one thing that i want to be remembered for it's for turning people away from the incel and migtau echo chambers and we have done so and uh it was something that i didn't know this podcast would become right but it has for both men and women mm-hmm. uh have we've we've helped people to turn away from those echo chambers and towards a road that will actually help them uh, uh he goes on to say i am never able to make friends i am always ostracized for some reason people would either say i'm busy or they wouldn't respond at all to when i want to hang out and that rejection really hurt me there was this guy who was only 11 months older than me that got married at 20 years old. I'm really envy of these people. I wish I was one of them. I would love to hear your input on this as your podcast has helped me in the past. Berto, what do you say? A couple of thoughts. First of all, do not get married at 20, please. I know like some people magically find the one. At Just... Don't do it. My parents got married at 19. Fine. I know there's counterexamples. And they, they've been married for 55 years. I know. Listen, I'm not going to... Okay, sure. Like, if, if you find love, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, the person... The person I... Maybe I'm just using my example. Like, 
the person I was at 20 years old does not belong anywhere near a marriage, <laughs> you know. But, okay, that's one thing. But the, the second part is this. I'm very curious because the email, the way you write it, the way you express yourself, uh, doesn't seem like at surface level odd at all. Like meaning you sound like a very quote unquote normal, well put together individual. I am wondering uh, because you don't go into details like and I know you can't answer right now, but what? why do you think? People don't want to be your friends. And and I don't know if they do or don't. That might be your impression. But why do you think? Because I can tell you that when I was younger, I had a lot of thoughts in my head about what people did or did not want or liked or did not like about me. And looking back, a lot of those things were, were mis- misunderstandings about life. As an example, uh, when I was in high school, I I assumed, it, just, it was just kind of an assumption that uh, the only way I could have a girlfriend was through an arduous, movie-like, wooing process. And as a result, I never asked anyone out. Almost ever. And or you pushed people away. Oh, and I definitely pushed people away. And so, so if we rewound the clock back to those times, you might have similar statements. It's like, I don't understand. I'm, I'm giving it my all. Why won't anyone right. go out with me? Right, right, right. And actually, uh, like... The, but when you look back, you're like, well, I was part of the problem. Absolutely. And there was a two-sided problem. I'm definitely not saying that this, this is your problem. I'm just kind of giving myself as an example. On the one hand, I, I never felt I should even take the first step because I, in my mind, the, my, ma- my, my calculation would go something like this. Oh, that's a pretty girl in my bus or whatever. Uh, but I know that if I even wanted to go down the line of having a relate, by, by the way, immediately my mind would r- rush to relationship, not to like, oh, I should talk to that person, just relationship. And that was already kind of a losing proposition. Like, why, have I, I'm, why am I already in a mental relationship with this person that I haven't even talked to? And not only would I rush to the relationship part in my brain, but then I'd be like, well, to get to that relationship... I have to run through so many steps. Like, I got to put together some crazy wooing pattern for this person. I got to take him out on these amazing dates. And then, I, and it became like overwhelming so that I wouldn't even make the first step. Now, I had no problems talking and socializing with people. I just wouldn't even bother going down the romantic side. Like, I'm like, I'm not even going to bother. And the only times that I, that I would make that effort was this one girl that I liked so much for so many years that I finally was up like, did go up and be like, Hey, do you want to go to a dance club with me? You know? And then it turns out that, that I should have asked sooner. Right. But in my head, I had built it up to this edifice of impossibility. You know, it was like this crazy thing. And then the flip side is that, uh, once I did have some relationships and, and in college, for example, I could get overwhelming because I kept thinking that it was supposed to be this grandiose series of actions and things, you know? So what I'm, what I'm, my meta point isn't so much about the specifics of me, is that I had a lot of misconceptions about both what I should do, what others thought about me, what I, you know, all these things. And so uh, don't assume that you don't, you know, like the way you're saying it is like, no one wants to be friends with me. I would not assume that all the things you think are right are correct. Right. So I asked for more clarification about his childhood because I think that's important to know. And he said, I can safely say that I may have experienced quite a few relational traumas. My dad yelled at me. It was honestly quite frightening. 
I was bullied in elementary school and middle school. Ugh. I was the nerd who liked video games and movies. I like video games and movies. I was, you want to date him? <laughs> I was ostracized and ridiculed by my peers for being different. In eighth grade, I was rejected by the first girl I ever liked, and everyone mocked me for being put in the friend zone. Uh, yeah, I, this whole friend zone thing, it, it just, it really fucking bugs me. Like, there's all these memes about like, oh, you've been friend zoned. How about you have a friend who just isn't attracted to you? Yeah. And you just, do you, do you know how many... Do you know how many friends you're going to have in your life? And you know how many like romantic partners you're going right. to like cycle through? Yeah. You're going to have like, you know, a dozen friends who are really close friends. You're going to have like dozens upon dozens of romantic like starts and stops. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, uh, one, what's wrong with being friend zoned? And two, it's just the whole thing is, is like this incel idea yeah. around like women will, because it's rare that it'll be a woman being friend zoned by a guy, you know? And, and there's this propaganda around like, you know, women will use betas to pump their ego, put mm. them in the friend zone so that they can manipulate them and all this kind of stuff. And how about, how about you just, how about someone just wants you to be a friend and they, they're just, they don't want to go into that zone with you. And I do have one question of, and and maybe this is not quite right, but I'm I'm imagining if I ask a person, let's say someone is telling me, yeah, no, I'm, I'm struggling. Women don't seem to be into me and stuff. I would have a challenge for them, and and maybe I'm wrong, but I would say, okay, here's a challenge, like something to try. Go find a woman that you find unattractive, like maybe even heavily unattractive. It's not not that you're not your type. You actually really don't like them sexually, physically, like you don't. And go out with them. See what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, um, or you have a friend. Uh, let's say you have a guy. You're a guy. You're 13 and you have a guy friend. Turns out he's gay. And you're like, I don't want to have sex with you. Right. Well, you just friend zoned your friend. You friend zoned your friend. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it's, it, why do we need this phrase for a situation where it, it's just, incompatibility or one person isn't attracted to the other person. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a phenomenon that is only for men. You know, um, he goes on in high school, I faced numerous betrayals from friends at university. I was once called an immature baby by one of my friends whom I trusted deeply. And a few weeks ago, I got betrayed by someone else. I consider my attachment style to be leaning towards preoccupied. I definitely struggle with my self-esteem I am always concerned about how others will view me. So this is good. You're very aware, uh, Aria, of your attachment style and those kinds of things. So let me go on a little riff here. So you exhibit schemas of mistrust, betrayal, and worthlessness. And I'm going to kind of focus on betrayal uh, for a second here. It's because of your early childhood experiences, It's it sounds like and I, I don't know, but you, you want to explore this with a therapist. It sounds like you have a schema of betrayal. That, that meaning um, when you were young, you were being betrayed in some way. Uh, that can be through being abused. It can be by being rejected or abandoned. There's, some, there's a lot of different roads to having a, a sense of betrayal. You can even uh, de- develop a schema of betrayal in a quote-unquote good family where the parents are just kind of distant, because that's kind of a betrayal. Yeah. It's like 
you're crying and your parents don't really notice quite yeah. fast enough or you need something and no one's really there fast enough. But when they finally do recognize, they do respond. But there's a zone there of time yeah. that's frequent enough where they just don't really notice. Or there's a lot of kids and they, they kind of mess up paying attention to your feelings and they mistakenly try to meet your needs and they mess up and they can feel like a bitch. So it's a lot of different roads to betrayal. Like they, they leave you home alone when they go to Europe on a family trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So early on in life, uh, it's probable that you, Aria, were uh, uh, realizing, look, people are going to betray me. That's mm. just the way that it is. People, particularly people close to me, mm-hmm. they're going to fuck me over somehow. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And I need to just realize that because it's happening all the time. It, it, Subconsciously. It, well, yeah. Or some yeah, yeah. three-year-old yeah. version, verbal version of that. The reason why we developed those schemas is because it helps us to cope because we're not taken by surprise when it happens in the right. future. It also helps us to just navigate our life a little better. Like maybe I shouldn't depend on those people because they're going to eventually betray me. And it is functional when you're young because it actually matches reality. You go out into the world when you launch uh, from your family and you retain that schema of like people mm-hmm. are going to fuck me over. It, but you still have all the – in fact, you have a greater need for attachment right. because you haven't really had a stable – you know, r- good attunement that happened. He, because he, he went into more detail about his family life, and he, he, you know, he was quick to say that he came from a generally good family. But I suspect that there was a, enough coldness and a, enough non-attunement that you were significantly and perpetually uh, left in a state of denial of your emotional needs to develop this schema of betrayal. This is a lot of guesswork, but. Uh, based on what you're saying, you fit the profile of someone like that. And so you need to cope with that because right. to to walk around going like, well, that prince is going to betray me. Or another thing you'll do is you'll interpret things as betrayals. Mm-hmm. So so you're, you know, you, you ask a girl out in eighth grade and she's like, no, I'm sorry. Right. You're more likely to, to, categorize that experience as a betrayal as opposed to just she just wasn't into she just wasn't into me or or even another narrative of she's too scared to date me or something there's a lot of interpretations but if you're used to seeing the world through this betrayal lens then you'll tend to look at it that way Uh, in fact sorry as an example uh with this girl in particular that i liked for for multiple years until i finally asked her out uh i'm pretty sure that in my head and this wasn't like explicit but now i'm thinking about it I had a, a schema of, well, I know how it will go if I, if I, you know, make any t- attempts to ask her out. First of all, she dates 27-year-olds and I'm a teenager, so I don't even have a chance. But even if I did have a chance, she's going to betray me. <laughs> so she's going to leave me. So I'm never going to, like, you know, why would I go down that painful road? <laughs> because you had a schema based on your mother leaving That's you right. that... Uh, made you develop a defense right. of just like, well, let's just assume that women and, w- women arbitrarily just leave me. That's right. Know? And to make matters worse, I, in fact, chose someone who, through her stories, had made it clear to me, and if I had been paying attention, that there was a very high likelihood right. that she would break my heart. <laughs> right. So people who have these schemas, 
this schema of betrayal will, one, choose people who are likely to betray you mm-hmm. subconsciously because you're trying to surrender yourself to the schema by just saying, well... That's what happens. That's what happens, and you, you subconsciously recreate those situations to confirm that schema. So that's one pitfall area you might be falling into. You might actually be choosing situations and people who are likely to let you down. Um, and you might not be attracted to people who are more dependable because you're subconsciously trying to uh, confirm this schema. The other thing is that with this schema, it, that it, this conclusion is just like, well, there's no point. Why try? And so I'm guessing, Arya, you've gone through periods of time where you've just kind of avoided the whole thing and you might have missed a lot of opportunities that might have come your way to actually cultivate relationships with people. I don't know that. You didn't say that, but it's possible. Another thing is that if you assume that people are going to screw you over and people are going to betray you, then you're going to be nervous as you're starting to develop a relationship. You're going to be much more anxious. You're not going to be very relaxed. Right. And you might be a little overly sensitive too. So someone... uh, you make a new friend and you're like, uh, hey, let's hang out this weekend. And they're, and they're like, oh, I'm kind of busy. Well, to someone without this schema, they would be like, oh, okay, that's cool. Let me know. And in their mind, they're thinking, well, maybe they're into me, maybe they're not. But, mm-hmm. you know, let's just see where this goes. Um, I hope they like me and I hope, but if we don't, you know, it, it, maybe there's, for whatever, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Right. It just means, you know, maybe this it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be or something. But if you have a, a scheme of betrayal, you'll be like, is this person fucking me over right now? Yeah. And that will increase, you know, your, your butt puckering a little bit. Yeah. You'll come across a bit more forceful or a bit awkward or a bit, you know, pressuring or even a bit sort of apologetic of just like, oh, sorry, sorry, I don't, I don't want to bother you. Or, you know, right. there's some sort of overcompensation that you'll do that might put people off and might make people right. be like, well, that was weird. So I'll definitely not hang out with them next time they Right. Ask. Now, I, I, I don't want to blame the victim here, but the point is, is that based on your schemas, you can actually react to things in a way that sort of perpetuate the problems. The other thing that you can do with a schema of betrayal is overcompensate by hurting people in advance of you being hurt. Mm. Uh, because if you're already interpreting, you know, give, let's go back to the example of, uh, let's say you hang out with someone a few times and then you text them and you're like, um, hey, let's hang out this weekend. And they don't, get, they don't text back to you in a couple of days. And you're getting more and more upset and you're like, this person's betraying me like all those other people are. Look right. at this. It's happening once again. You know, either I'm unlikable or people are shit or something's wrong here. Either I'm shit or other people are shit or something's wrong. And you get angry, you get, you get hurt and you, and you start to get hostile. And then you text them and you're just like, um, well, you know, never mind. Uh, I've got better things to do this weekend. You know, I'm exaggerating, but you do some kind of hostile statement. Right. So you didn't mention that you did anything like that, Arya, but it's for someone with your schema, it's a common thing to do. You can even do those sort of things when you don't realize it, because you might interpret the situation like, well, they've already fucked me over. So what's, it doesn't matter now. We've crossed the Rubicon 
I can fuck them over back because they've already fucked me over. Yeah. But they might not have actually fucked you over. They might actually be busy or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, So what do you do about this? Uh, Again, I don't know you that well, Arya, so I can't tell. But I suspect that I'm I'm in the ballpark. The key is is you have to heal from your relational traumas. If you want to have friends, if you want to have romantic partners, if you want a girlfriend, a key element to this you know, the internet will tell you, you got to become manipulative or you got to give up or, you know, you right. got the pickup artist community, you got to fuck them and leave them or you got to neg their shoes and compliment their <laughs> face or whatever bullshit. The road to wellness is healing from your relational traumas by going to therapy, obviously, but also by cultivating secure relationships. He actually mentions he has a, he has a pretty good friend right now that he doesn't want to bother with his problems. Whether or not you bother her with, you know, your problems really absorb any secure relationship that you have. Maybe even going back home to your parents and trying to, you know, improve your relationships with them somehow. As you absorb that security, that schema of betrayal will diminish and your, all the symptoms from that schema will also diminish. And when those things diminish, I'm guessing that you will have a much easier time coping with rejection minor rejections, which will make it much more likely that one out of every 10 relationships you start will actually continue. Because the fact is, is, you know, when I think about all the relationships that I've started to cultivate in Mm -hmm. my life, I would say 1% of them are still happening right now, or maybe less. Yeah. So relationships have a, have a, have a half-life. An egg, an egg timer. An egg timer. (laughs) Uh, Burroughs Laughing has actually wrote a song called Egg Timer that, that was exactly about this thing. Um, so uh, the other thing here is what Berto was getting to was try to have a healthy perspective. You know, you're 20 years old. You're still maturing. You're still trying to figure out how to deal with relationships. There's many years ahead where there might be uh, success, so to speak, in relationships. Um, the other thing is, is when I was 20 years old, when I look back at that, one, if I could go back in time and talk to myself when I was 20, and I kind of knew this at the time, but I didn't know it as well as I maybe should have, is I would tell myself, people your age are not mature, including you. You are not mature. Right. Your friends aren't mature. The people that you're romantically attracted to are not mature. You're walking around like you're mature. You're going to college classes. You have a car. You mm-hmm. you know you have a job. You look like an adult. You're, you're not you're not mature yet. You're wearing the hat, but yeah. it doesn't fit right. <laughs> right. You're not mature, and part of that ma- immaturity, but and it's and by definition you're immature, is that your friends and you aren't really paying attention to each other's needs. Right. You're still in a childish, normal way, selfish that you won't be later in life. Your friends aren't as empathetic as they will be in the future. Mm-hmm. When you ha- have needs, you won't necessarily notice them. You know, w- one of the classic things that I would run into when I used to work with teens is I'd be talking to a 16-year-old kid and they'd be like, yeah, it was total bullshit. It's school today. Oh, what happened? Well, you know, I... I worked really hard in this assignment. I turn in and the teacher, you know, gave me a D and I'd be, I, and I would say like, oh man, that must've mm. really hurt. 
that fuck i'm not hurt fuck you i'm not hurt like perfectly regular 16 year old kids right fuck you i'm not hurt i'm it pissed me off it's bullshit I'd be like, uh, yeah i get you're you're angry right but i could also see how that would hurt your feelings because you worked really hard and right. you turned it in and your teacher like slapped you in the face i could see how that would hurt i'm not hurt what if what the fuck you it it's they would crazy. never, it was so rare no, they could course. ever admit that their, their feelings were... Of course. Why is that? Well, they're immature kids. When you're 20, you're not that far from that. Well, when you're 40 years old, you're more likely to be able to know your emotions better. You, Aria, are 20 years old. It's possible that you and the people around you have a hard time recognizing your true emotional needs, which makes it hard to meet those needs. Right. And and the thing about the hurt is that there is also that uh, aspect of machismo maybe or whatever. It's like, look, it's one thing for me to recognize that someone did me wrong and I almost need to get back at them or at least be very angry at them. That's fine because I, I can still pretend I'm a badass. But to, but to acknowledge that someone essentially like hurt me and I was hurt – that it means I'm not a badass. I'm not the hero of the movie. I'm like the the cowering uh, flower in the corner, and I can't have that. Yeah. You know. Instead, uh, the reality, which is we're all hurt all the time by so many things, yeah. and when we're blind to it, we hurt ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Berto, have you ever been dumped? Uh, yeah. Can you identify one moment where you were dumped? Uh, it, it was the worst kind of dumping. It was uh, where I... I was essentially the one to write the e- the letter saying that we were done because the dumping had already happened in all practical purposes. Weeks before. It's, yeah, because like... She dumped you but didn't tell you. Didn't tell me, yes. So when you finally figured out that she had dumped you and didn't tell you, did you see that as a betrayal? At the time, yes. Do, do you frame that as, as yet another time that someone betrayed you? At the time, I didn't think of it but it added up in my head that way. Afterwards, did you give up? On, did you think I'm doomed with women? No, ironically, that actually awoke something in me to be able to ask uh, people out and start actually dating. <laughs> okay, so after that really bad experience yeah. where you felt betrayed, you decided perspective-wise, for whatever reason, that you were going to get back on on the horse and you're, yeah. you're going to try it and you're, yeah. you're going you're gonna to make it work probably because you assumed that humans are good and yeah. that you'll meet someone better for you. Yeah. And you had confidence in yourself because of the way you were raised. Uh, Aria, I don't think, was raised that way. I think Aria, when Aria it gets dumped in this way or rejected in minor ways, he uh, internalizes that to be yeah. like, well, this is never going to work. And there's something deeply wrong with me or other people or mm-hmm. something is wrong here. And and there's no way to fix it. When you were dumped, at, you were young, right? 20. Yeah, 16. Okay, 16. You know almost nothing about how the world works. Yeah. You know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> and yet you just trusted. You just like, how, how, do, you, how do you trust? Like, yeah. well, things will work out. I'll figure it out. Right. Uh, I'm not sure of that, but, you know, I th- I think things will be okay. How in the world could you have made that leap? Well, because you were raised in a way 
that made you really believe that other people can be depended on and that you are a lovable, likable person. Right. Enough, anyway, yeah. that you can be like everyone else. Yeah, there was enough things counteracting the negatives right. that it netted out positive. Aria, I suspect, was not raised that way. And so when he runs into these kinds of things, it is uh, very difficult for him afterwards yeah. to recover and, and have optimism about the future. He's, he's 20 years old. He's already written the rest of his life. Yeah. He's like, this is never going to work. Right. And you and I are looking at it like, dude, you're 20. Yeah. Like you have no idea what's before you. But for him, it's over. He's already been rejected for the rest of his life. Why is that? Well, I suspect because of his relational traumas that he deserves to heal from. Right. So, and after, you know, and during which you, you know, upon being healed from those relational traumas, uh, one, when you are rejected, it won't, you won't generalize it so greatly. And two, when there's tiny threats of rejection, as you start to cultivate relationships with people, it, you won't react in a way that'll push people away, which I'm suspecting. Again, I don't want to blame you, sure, Arya, sure. but I suspect that that might be happening. Yeah, I think that's great. And I mean, I, I want to add a couple of pieces of advice that you can totally feel free to throw in the garbage because it's just me spouting off my ideas. But to build upon what Kirk said, uh, I think the foundation, based on my experience in my life, uh, you it's really hard to make any progress without that work of healing. Because even if I had been told what to do and wanted to do it in my early 20s to try to improve the things that I, 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 I had problems with, I couldn't have because I hadn't been healing yet. So I, I feel like that's like the foundation. To build on top of that, though, there are a couple of things that I'll just throw out. One, I, I say this often. Busy yourself with your own dreams and ambitions, meaning like in general, create stuff. I don't know what you're into, what are your skill sets or whatever, but like just like really figure out like something you are very passionate. You might already have this. Maybe water you're an artist. Maybe wa you're water dancing. Water dancing. Absolutely. Whatever it is and just busy yourself with it. Like try to become that like really good and stuff uh two things about it one it'll boost your self-confidence you'll feel so so accomplished because disguising yourself your as the phrase that's right and then uh and then also you will meet people in those communities because like let's say you are really into drone racing you're gonna meet other drone racers and and inevitably you're gonna share things in common that way the other piece of advice may sound very superficial and i want to differentiate it from the like sort of like uh pickup artist advice i'll say like Look nice. Like, and what I mean by that is be honest with yourself. It, like, do you need to get, you know, in a physical program? Do you need to eat differently, change your diet? Do you need to dress a little different? Again, this might not be your issue. You might be a freaking supermodel and then you have other. I'm just saying, like, in, in, in some cases, this is part of the, the issue. Well, let me modify this a little bit. Um, the baseline of this, I think, is true in that. When we give up, we might actually – and I've actually gone through phases of my life where I think I did this when I look back on it, where I wasn't consciously doing this, but I basically gave up on my hygiene kind of because I just didn't feel like things were going to work out in my life relationally-wise. And I was probably subtly pushing people away with the way I was dressed and – the way I smelled and you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. 
And at the time, I would be like, dude, I'm just living my truth, you know? But looking back, uh, it's possible that I... It makes sense, you know, when you feel demoralized, you just kind of like, what? why go through the trouble, you know? Now, we don't know Aria is a candidate for that, but... Which is, by by the way, why I said, like, none of this is useful if you don't try to deal with the pain, with the the healing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, one quick example. Um, And part of it is... is you do need some outside input in a way. Uh, like maybe if you have been friend zoned, that's a good opportunity to ask that friend, hey, what would you do if you were going to improve my image or something like that? And the reason I bring that up is I have this photo of me in high school wearing neon neon shorts, like neon green shorts, short, fairly short neon green shorts uh, with a very baggy, bigger than me, blue columbia sports jacket and like a t-shirt with a pattern on it and all my friends around me are sitting with like khakis like a nice shirt and this is high school like and the picture and like i stand out like a sore thumb and i'm like oh my god of course no one's gonna go out with me in this but like at the time i didn't know any better and i didn't know to ask someone hey should i what would i what would you do if i if i were gonna dress a little better yeah and i'll piggyback on that and say ask people uh, if they had any feedback ab- about the way you reacted to things, you know, yeah. emotionally. Some uh, uh, patrons wanted us to talk about Ad Astra, the movie. Oh, yeah. You saw it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Ah, to the stars. Did you like it? So, visually, it was really entertaining. I really liked, I actually liked Brad Pitt in it. Um, then he, I think he did a good job. I was so excited, though. The, the beginning of it made me really excited. But it consistently kept betraying my expectations in not a great way. Because it, it started going in a direction where I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's not what I was thinking. But but I hope they replace what I was thinking with something more interesting. But instead of it being more interesting, it got less and less interesting. And towards the end, I was like, well, nothing interesting happened. Yeah. It was a totally missed opportunity. I, I agree with everything you're saying. The look of it, the yeah. acting. I mean, it had it had the the trappings of a classic yeah. 2001 Space Odyssey yeah. movie. And then, and, and I was sort of into that in the first half hour, 45 minutes. I was like, I'm watching the next 2001, yeah. you know? We will be talking about this. Yeah. And then slowly I started realizing... You know, the monkey and then the ending, I was like, wait, this movie is a pile of shit <laughs> wrapped up in a 2001 look. You know what I mean? Like the the plot makes no sense. The science makes no sense. Uh, and, and I was trying to think, like, how would I have ended this movie? And, 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 and actually, one of the ways you could end it would be the way 2001 ended. Yeah. <laughs> you just have a bunch of flashy lights. Yeah. Like, at least that would have been like, whoa, trippy. We don't yeah. know. We interpret. The future is weird. <laughs> interpret what you will. The aliens are on acid, you know. But the ending was like. Okay, I'm going back home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I'm trying to remember exactly. Tommy Lee Jones, his father. Yeah. He finally gets to Neptune and they're talking and Tommy Lee Jones is like, there's nothing. There's nothing. And I went crazy yeah. because of that. And I killed everybody. And I've realized that nothing really matters. I, I've right. m- m- every, you know, the human race essentially doesn't matter. Right. And then Brad Pitt's like, oh, but then he, but then Brad Pitt says, well, I'm 
when I look at into the abyss, I don't see despair. I see human connection. I'm going to go back to my wife yeah. and my kids. And, and he's like, uh, essentially, like, it's not that, oh, shit, there's only us. It's that we only have each other. Right. So not a bad premise. Terribly executed, yeah. though. And like, so Tommy Lee Jones killed a bunch of people because of that? Like, like right. it, it, they didn't show us enough or they didn't really make us feel what Tommy Lee Jones really felt. It just came across like, oh, your dad's crazy. Well, absolutely. Because one thing they didn't sell at all, and I'm not even talking about in, in a, they, they didn't even have the semblance of selling this. They didn't sell how they concluded that there is truly right. nothing well, else. Well, let me get into that in a second. <laughs> but one of, one of the ways you could have set this up was that, say, Earth was really struggling. Like, mm -hmm. we needed alien intervention. Yeah. Or we needed some hope yeah. of another thing out there to make us sort of, you know, pull ourselves out of the slums and the muck of our society. Or, you know. But there wasn't any of that. It was just like, you know, the same sort of question we have today is, are we alone? And I think for most of us, if the answer is no... I don't think that ruins our existential, you well, know, sort of prospects. Not, absolutely, not only that, but as we know, it can go know, the other way. Well, that, and as we know, a lot of people's religious beliefs are rooted in the in the idea that, in fact, we are unique and alone. Right. So let me get into the science. the The science in this movie is one of the most ridiculous uh, things that this movie. Now, a movie like. I don't know, Game of Thrones or you know, a TV show like Game of Thrones or a movie like Star Wars, for example. These shows are not trying to be accurate <laughs> with science. Like the fact that in Star Wars, they don't have any nukes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had nukes before we had, you know, <laughs> color TV. Yeah, but hey, Star Wars is a long time ago. Yeah. So, uh, but Star Wars never has tried, you know, yeah. it's, it's a different kind of world. And this movie at Astra is clearly trying to say this is a very possible technological future, and there's a lot of things that yeah. are pointing in the direction. But so, so let's go into the some of the just utterly stupid. If they would, <laughs> they could have ran this by a fifth grader who knew a little bit more about science. They'd be like, "You need to change that." Like there, there's no reason for that to be in the script. Like yeah. just rewrite that. Okay, one thing is so. The you know Tommy Lee Jones is on Neptune looking for uh, alien life, which we'll get into in a second. And Brad Pitt, the son, ha needs to communicate with him. That's right. the whole. That's why they they hired him. They're like we we need you to talk to your dad because because yeah. he's doing he's he's doing bad things. So he needs to go to Mars to talk to him. Of course, as you do. Um, but not only that, they need to go to the moon first. Right. Okay, anyone, anyone who knows anything about radio signals knows, one, you can send them from Earth. Going to Mars doesn't make a radio signal any better going to Neptune, number one. Number two, to go to Mars, you should not go to the moon first because <laughs> taking off and landing is incredibly expensive fuel-wise <laughs> and also dangerous. You notice when we send probes to Mars... We don't stop by the moon. <laughs> we don't land on the goddamn moon. Like, well, but there's no base there today. <laughs> that'd be like 
I'm going to fly to San Antonio and I'm going to go to Moscow, Russia first. Was, it's like, that's was, not helpful. Was maybe the implication, which I, I realize, but was it maybe like how nowadays a lot of times you have to take kind of pointless stops when you fly in an airplane because that's the way that the commercial airplanes... Although this was military, though. Why would they... Well, that and there weren't that many people going to Mars. You know what I mean? It's right. not like sh- flights from Seattle to Atlanta where you literally right. have thousands of people traversing. You're talking about a handful of people going every once in a while. Yeah. Okay, so there's that. And, you know, maybe, okay, fine. Um, then they get to the moon and there's space pirates. Now, when I watched the scene at first, I was like, okay, there's space pirates, but wait a second. When I looked back at it, I was like, so I would understand if there was like one or two incidents of space piracy. But do you know how easy it would be in that world to control space pirates? Of course. Considering that, you know, taking off and landing from the moon, you probably have one flight a week or something, maybe once a day. As a, as a you know, a, right. a spacefaring police force, you just have to... You know, the pirates got to take off at some point. Hey, but you never check the pods that don't show signs of life forms because you forget about the drones. Yeah. By the way, uh, the other thing about that is that uh, this is the single most important thing for humanity, right? Super top secret. Yeah. And they sent like two boogies with like almost no protection, even though there's this rampant piracy. Right. And what was the thing they were pirating? Right. That's the other thing. (laughs) They were destroying... (laughs) <laughs> these other uh, these right. other carts. So what's the thing they're getting? What are they trying to get exactly? It's just a it's just a four guys on a buggy. It's, a, it's an action scene. Yeah, it's like they weren't insert they weren't carting like you know bars of gold or spice or something. Oh, and by the way, the only two that survive are the two that we need to survive in that. Well, scene. A lot of movies do that. The other thing is on Mars, the recording room. You know, the room that yeah. he goes to send the message is fucking ridiculous they one the the sound absorption foam Mm -hmm. on the wall looks like it's from like 500 years ago it's like (laughs) it's like rotting yeah one two they have a microphone that looks like it was from radio shack from the 60s (laughs) three again all he needs to do is sit on earth talk into his iphone and send that audio file to the military they can broadcast that from earth he needs to sit. He, well, no, but actually, let's say that it can only be broadcast from Mars. <sighs> Why don't we send it from the Earth to Mars and then from Mars to J- Right. <laughs> also, sometimes Mars is on the other side of the sun from Neptune. So right. there's – anyway. So he's sitting in a he, – he's not talking. He, he's just talking. It's just him talking into a microphone. He doesn't need to be in a soundproof room with like two sound engineers on the. And, and again, the microphone he's talking into is just from radio. Sh- okay. The other thing is here at the end, uh, there's a nuclear blast, and uh, Brad Pitt uses it to propel his ship. Okay, so let's look at this idiot, idiotic thing. One. There's no air in space, so there's no blast wave in space. The only thing that's going to, you know, potentially convert uh, the energy from the blast to you is debris. Well, and, which is not going to help you in the way you want it to, 
uh, electromagnetic waves that are very, very powerful. Right, but that, but that's not <laughs> going to actually push it. Your no, it's it's going to give you cancer and, and damage <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> so, so a nu- a nuclear blast in space that goes off from Tommy Lee Jones' ship, and Brad Pitt's ship, he can't get home, but he, so he needs this extra boost from the blast. The shrapnel from that ship that blew up will be moving at you know. Uh, Mach 10 or something. Yeah. I mean, just it because there's no air to slow it down. It's got to yeah. be moving I, probably like... And it's not going to slow down. <laughs> right. It's, it's moving like faster than bullets. Yeah. It will, it will just go through your ship like it's butter. Like <laughs> it will just like all these little right. tiny... It's not going to propel your ship. Um, e, and then even if, let's just say, even if there was a blast wave yeah. that was somehow created that you know, could push against your ship, which is stupid. I mean, it'd be like saying, I'm going to help you, you know, run this race by shooting a gun at your back. No, it literally, literally the only thing that we could be having the discussion of is the debris. Right. But, but let's just but say, let's say that there's, let's say there's some kind of wave, like, I don't know, there's enough air inside the ship. That's yeah. not, anyway, it's a heat wave. <laughs> uh, tr- okay. Go in, you know, like take a pencil and go to the ocean and try to harness a wave in such a way that your pencil goes straight. <laughs> you know, a pencil, because that's a ship. It's like right, a right, pencil right, shape. Right. A, a wave, a blast wave that hits the back of this thing, it would be, it would be impossible to harness that in a way that would propel you. Okay. Um, Tommy Lee Jones uses antimatter. This is the whole premise of the show, right. stated right from the beginning. Tommy Lee Jones, Brad Pitt's father, is using antimatter to cause some sort of chain reaction that will kill all life in the solar system. Okay, that's the whole premise. That's like right. we got, we're big time emergency. Yeah. This rogue dude in the by Neptune is using antimatter to to create this sort of like. Uh, this like wave of particles that comes yeah. towards toward into it the disables electronics yeah. and a whole bunch of stuff. So first off, did we ever find out why Tommy Lee Jones was doing that? Why he was trying to kill everyone? Was it just because he was a nihilist? Is that is that why? Um. Well, no. The sense was he okay. So I didn't get the sense that he was doing that. He was conscious of like, oh, if I disable the antimatter thing, this will send blast waves and it'll kill. I thought that he was just sabotaging the ship like more local like his actions were more local oh, okay but well, maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong i don't remember by the way i think maybe now i do think they they because they took out the electronics on earth maybe that's why they couldn't send the message from earth to mars first right <laughs> that's stupid but uh, at least could you have recorded it on the out- moon and then sent it well, from the moon to mars and then from mars to jupiter <laughs> if it's true that the or antimatter ne- <laughs> knocked out all communication possibilities on the planet of earth yeah we would truly be fucked yeah like we'd be beyond screwed well, in, in fact not only would it you know because it's not just communication devices that would be no it's all disabled the, it would be all the rockets right. that yeah. you can't do the launch <laughs> right uh second it's ridiculous science um there's no such thing as like a chain reaction from antimatter when you have antimatter and and I, i'm guessing that he would have if he had antimatter and he say propelled it at neptune and it you know interacts with the matter on neptune it would just create a, an explosion. Yeah. That's all it does. It it 
antimatter and matter. And depending on the amount, it could be, it could kill off the solar system. <laughs> no, 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 it could not. There'd be no, you would have to have a, an amount of antimatter, uh, and and no, it's no, unclear no. what it would exactly no, do. No, no, no. Like, like the 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 single most powerful reaction would yeah. be antimatter canceling out. But what I'm saying is, but it that, wouldn't look like that. It would it would it would explode, and right. there would be gamma rays. That right, would, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's there's it's not like oh they disable our communications. No, if it's big enough, it's all done. of us have cancer. Yeah. Our yeah. our uh, as, uh, yeah. atmosphere gets blown away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, again, it's just like. The, that whole premise was stupid because it was anyway. And you don't, you don't, well, I guess maybe they invented a way to do it, but like you're not going to be able to create more antimatter to keep the chain reaction going. Right. That's, that was the <laughs> implication was that he had a little bit of antimatter that he was using to create a chain reaction of more antimatter. Like the whole reason why we don't understand how the fuck we exist is because we still don't know how it was possible that only matter or only so much more matter would have survived and the antimatter would have somehow not survived from the initial moments of the Big Bang. Right. It, it, because well, we can't just create it on the fly. <laughs> well, specifically, uh, mathematically, there should be the exact amount of antimatter and matter and thus, after the Big Bang... It should have all gone away. It, it should just have all been energy and not a residue of matter... Right. That was baryonic right. that was left behind. But anyway, Brad Pitt changes orbits from Tommy Lee Jones' ship to right. his own ship. By the by, way, he propels himself with his little little boosters. Yeah. Holding like a little piece of metal yeah. through rock, an asteroid's little belt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it would require, from my estimation, a lot more energy to change orbits in that way. Um, but it, it makes intuitive sense to an audience. It's like... Right. Well, you know, you're at one ship and you can see the other ship. So you just have to kind of push yourself over there. Sure. But when you're doing orbits, it'd be like... You're already going in one direction. You're, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> falling into a planet, but you're right. going so fast that... Anyway, the other thing was like the space monkey scene. At first, I was like, okay, I'll go with it. But upon looking back on the sort of gestalt of this movie, it was it's a totally just a joke of a scene when you yeah. think about it. I yeah. mean, like... By that point in the movie, I was like, I was still trying to believe that this was going to be the next 2001. So I was like, oh, that was interesting. But again, when you look back at that scene, you're just like, what the fuck? Right. It's uh, just, I mean, it's a, it's a very simplistic thing. Oh, okay. They had an animal because they had research stuff and the animal went crazy. But it, it means doesn't, nothing. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, at that time, I thought, oh, this must have something to do with the plot. But it doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's just a random. Just, yeah. uh, Hey, oh, oh, it's just me. Okay. Right. <laughs> the same scene with the pirates. I thought maybe yeah. that had something. Nothing. No. Th these pirates scenes... play nothing into it. Yeah. It's just a series of random events before. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is, uh, you know, he go as you were saying, he goes out to Neptune to find alien life. Anyone who knows anything about anything of astronomy knows that there's nothing special about the edge of our solar system, that edge, because that's not even the edge of our solar right. system. 
uh, Neptune that helps you to see other stars and other planets. Well, the only thing would be is, but they didn't really explain this, would be if, if they're creating, you know, they have a sensor in Neptune, a sensor in Mars, and therefore they're creating a, an effective radius that is that size, right? And that actually helps us. No, that is how, right, like... Right, I know, but right? that but, wasn't what they were but saying. But that's not what they were saying, yeah. yeah. But... But you it, actually it, wouldn't need to do that, be, and it actually wouldn't be helpful because Neptune is actually going around the sun. You would just put sensors sort of in orbit af- away from Earth, sure, essentially. Sure. You wouldn't need to go specifically to Neptune because there would be no point in that because there's a lot of places you could orbit. A At sensor. the very least – because they could have provided explanations. And right. Then, and that's then we, what I'm saying. Like, we could have geekily been like, like oh, that's not quite right. Or, but, they, you know, I'm trying to think of like uh, something they could, they, could have been, they could have been like, well, for whatever reason, we have a state-of-the-art facility that was used for a different purpose out in Neptune that they've repurposed for looking out into the stars for other life. Um, and that, and we don't have the budget to create a new one here. Like you could have said something like that. Yeah, and I guess if if you have to try that hard, maybe there was a flaw to begin with in your plot. Right. But. The other thing is, it's like there's no reason why it had to be Neptune. Like he could have been anywhere. Like why Neptune? Now I do like what they could have done. Was uh, the reason it's Neptune is because this is forget the looking for life. This is an antimatter experiment, but. In the process of doing these, and, and you know, we want it as far the fuck away from Earth as possible, right? But in the process of doing this antimatter experiment, they picked up some strange waves. So we all got very excited that there was, in fact, life. And then what the realization is that they sadly know. In fact, the side effect is they've mathematically proven that we're alone. Okay. But, but none of this was explained or any. I didn't no. feel any of this. No, no. It was explained. They said that... The the station on Neptune was designed to search for life right. in the universe be, because it was so far away from right, Earth. Right. What I what I guess what I mean is nothing that was explained made me feel a certain yeah. way. It was just data. Like yeah, okay, we're trying to live for life. Okay, good. They also said that the station at Neptune was quote unquote beyond the heliosphere. Do you know how big the heliosphere is? The heliosphere is. I don't know how many times further out from Neptune than Neptune is. Like the the sphere of influence of could they of have the made sun. such a silly mistake? Though may may may, they, may it be that like by that point its influence is pretty low. Kind no, of thing. It's the same. It like the heliosphere goes way the fuck out there. Then why would they make such a silly mistake? One and the heliosphere and the heliosphere has no effect on radio instruments. I know, but they hired people. You know, they hired people. I don't think they did. They did. I think some idiot. Wrote looked the at, script. Looked at uh, Wikipedia for some tag words. And yeah, I don't... If they did hire someone, the first thing it would have been is like, you realize that it'd be like saying, um, I we're going to go into a, you know, a 747 jet because we want to get out of Earth's atmosphere. Like, you're, <laughs> you're just like... That's ridiculous. You realize just because you're high in the air doesn't mean you're out of the atmosphere. Everyone knows you're still in the Earth's atmosphere. To be at Neptune and say that you're out of the heliosphere is that dumb. But they had so much stuff about, like, the design of the vehicles. That they, like, they obviously had advisors, people, engineers, building all the sets, doing the things, you know. Yeah. It's a, it, it boggles the mind. How stupid, like, again, 
if you if you ran it by someone who who knew about this stuff, they did. They could have said, "Well, you got to change that statement," you know, and they, it, let's brainstorm other explanations that you that you could say that would justify this. You can't say that about antimatter; it doesn't make any sense. How, you know, what other things could you say? Well, we could say, you know, but I think the writer was like, "Well, I no one's going to check." No, the average viewer. We'll hear antimatter. They'll hear they'll hear they'll hear the word heliosphere, and it'll all they'll think it's it makes sense. I certainly didn't think about that one. So yeah, oh, God, I because did. you know I'm like I don't know how long the heliosphere goes. And then, but did you did you question the fact that they had to go to Neptune to find life on yeah, the planet? Yeah, yeah, that made no sense. Okay. But but I was I was willing to go along with it because I thought we were going somewhere interesting. Right. To me to me too. Yeah. Like they did the Neptune thing in yeah. scene 2 or something. Yeah. I was like, well that's okay, dumb. <laughs> but I was like, well, maybe they'll explain that yeah. and the look of this movie is really good, so let's yeah. go with it. But yeah, I mean, and then at the end when I I was like, so wait, that's the ending? Then I I I retroactively unforgave every stupid thing that I had seen up until that point. I, I felt the same way, actually, because I, I so maybe less on the uh, on the physics of it all, uh, because you know you were catching a lot. Obviously, I was more the things like why are they not sending more protection if there's such rampant piracy? Why are they so like why do they have to send this one guy all the way to Mars? Like all those kinds of things. And I was going along with it, going along with it. And then when it started getting towards that last part, same, same as you, I'm like, no, no way. Uh, this is all, yeah. all unforgiven. <laughs> and the line that got me was when Tommy Lee Jones tells Brad Pitt, let me go. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know how many other scenes in recent times where <laughs> they've been in space and yeah. the guy's yeah, yeah. like, you got to let, yeah, go. yeah, let me go. Like gravity. To, yeah. I think Mission to Mars, they they, they do this as well. It, it's like, I think the writer wanted that scene and disregarded how to write a script to build up to that scene. Right. Because like the, the single most uh, maybe iconic thing that you can think of is like being stranded in space. So you got to let me go. You know, <laughs> well, specifically, you know, son, yeah, I have given up on life. You still have youth and optimism right. and a family. You got to let me go. You're you're going to I'm going to drag you down into nihilism. Uh, if you if you hold on to me, you got to let me go and you got to you got to stop loving me. Essentially, you got you got to stop trying to connect with me. Essentially, which was, by the way, it just weakens the whole thing, too, because. Why not let why not let your antagonist be more of an antagonist at least and and not give the character the the cookie right you know like like the Brad Pitt comes to the realization I have to let you go yeah. right anyway yeah just a uh, now I think I gave it like a 4 out of 10 so I'm I'm not saying it's like a worthless watch but it was I actually was visually quite entertained yeah um but yeah um, let's see. What did I give it? Ad Astra. I gave it a four out of 10. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not the worst movie of the year, but man it was, is I, it, the whole thing is just a missed opportunity because yeah. there's so few movies, so few movies that really try to get sci-fi right. And this had the budget, this had the actors, this had the directors, this had the cinematographers, this had, 
so many things, but the script and the and the consulting with this with the astronomer and the astrophysics and the science people was so bad that it it's just like oh you know you could have hired someone for a hundred thousand dollars to write a better script and it would have been like a seven out of ten or a ten out of ten like you, you could have hired for a very low price you could have been like write a better script than this piece of shit um, it, you know it's just like because but when preserve you, the idea that. In the future, us humans make this important realization that yeah. we are alone in the universe. Right. Uh, keep keep the main plot yeah. points the same, but and maybe even the trip to Mars and the moon, like yeah. incorporate even space yeah, yeah. pirates. Maybe even you could have all those elements. Yeah. But a good writer would have been able to write it like in a way that <laughs> wouldn't have pissed me off so badly. That's true. I, and I, I, actually, now that I think about it. What a concept to explore. Because even though we were saying, well, a lot of people assume we're alone. But just, they could have had this enormity of it. You know, like, w- like the whole thing I was saying, like, yeah. you don't understand what this proves. It's sort this of like... proves. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like um, Alien, um, the, what's the first one? Covenant or something? What was that first? The first, the first reboot that came out recently. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't. It, Prometheus? Prometheus, yeah. yeah. Like, that's a similar thing. Yeah. Like, the art direction, yeah. The the budget, such promise. The acting. What are we realizing? And, and then you have a writer. What's the lesson? What is the takeaway? Who makes these characters so stupid yeah, and yeah. adolescent? Yeah. And wait, what's the point of this movie? Like, yeah. what's happening? And it's like this. You have like literally a thousand things going right, and then the one thing that really matters, the yeah. script is neglected yeah. and you know well that does it for that episode of psychology in seattle that we did not script <laughs> and please take care of yourself and take care of other people and let him go because you deserve it you deserve it